Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Hey everyone, I'm Jeff, one of the pastors at Salt Church. Warm welcome to you if you're new or visiting. It's great to be here with you at church. How about I pray as we dive in? Father God, it is an immense and utter privilege that we can know you. We pray that through what we look at in your word tonight, we might know you deeper. Amen. I'm sure you've heard of Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods is widely considered to be the world's greatest golfer, the greatest golfer of all time. But in 1996, he was only an up-and-coming star when he announced that he was going pro. He was coming out professional. Uh, At the time, he won every competition that he entered. He was one of the youngest players to ever go pro, and he was one of the only people of colour in professional golf. And so there was an award dinner in his honour in 1996, and everybody was talking about Tiger Woods. They were talking about the, the things he'd already achieved, and there was lots of predictions about the impact he might have on the sport in the years ahead, if you can call golf a sport. And then his dad got up, and his dad gave a speech at this award ceremony that just really took the predictions up a level. Here's what he said. He said, I get very emotional when I talk about my son. My heart fills with so much joy when I realize this young man is going to be able to help so many people. Which is a pretty nice thing to say about your son, right? But he's not finished. He keeps going. Then he said, Tiger will transcend this game and bring to the world a humanitarianism that has never been known before. The world will be a better place to live in by virtue of his existence and his presence. I acknowledge only a small part in that, in that I know I was personally selected by God himself to nurture this young man and bring him to the points where he can make his contribution to humanity. He's not finished, it gets worse. Tiger would do more than any other man in history to change the course of humanity. Our son will have more impact than Nelson Mandela... More than Gandhi, more than Buddha, there are no limits because he has the guidance. I don't know yet exactly what form this will take, but he is the chosen one. He'll have the power to impact nations, not people, nations. The world is just getting a taste of his power. This is my treasure. Please accept it and use it wisely. Thank you. That was his speech. Now, I don't know if you tracked Tiger Woods' career. I'm not sure he quite hit the heights that his dad was predicting. Uh, From memory, it didn't finish that well for him. I think every parent is a little bit guilty of this, of praising their kids more than they deserve and viewing your, maybe you've experienced this, viewing your your kid through rose-colored glasses. But even still, this prediction is a bit much, right? It's a bit extreme. But we're about to see a prediction that makes that look tame. That makes that look like a massive understatement. And this time, the prediction comes true. It's in the part of the Bible that Lynette just read for us as part of our Christmas series. It's eight days until Christmas. Uh, And so to get us in the mood, we've been looking at Christmas through the eyes of the forgotten characters. These eyewitnesses who were there at the first Christmas when the Son of God was born as the baby Jesus in a manger, 
But the characters, the forgotten characters, the characters on the fringes of the nativity scene, the, not the usual suspects, and they'll give us a fresh perspective and fresh insights about the meaning of Christmas and why it really is a time of joy and peace and hope for all, everybody on the planet. And last week we met Mary's older cousin, Elizabeth, who rejoices more about Mary's kid than she does about her own. And tonight, this week, we're going to meet Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, who looks at his newborn son and just makes the wildest prediction that like Tiger, his son will change the course of humanity. His son will impact nations. His son will change your life forever. The world will be a better place because of his son. Only this time, the prediction is true. Have a look with me in Luke chapter 1. Verse 57. Luke 1, verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. Uh, they used sign language with Zechariah because for a year before this moment, Zechariah hasn't been able to speak or to hear. So verse 63, he asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Uh, do Do you kind of catch the electricity in the air? The crowd is just, there's just this massive sense among the crowd of, of God at work here, doing something special. Yeah, Zechariah suddenly speaks and hears after a year of being silent. Elizabeth and Zechariah have a, a miracle birth of John, their first child, not when they're like age 40, but more like age 80. And even the baby's name is a big deal. They don't go with the usual practice of naming him after a relative. God has told them what to call this child, and that's what they call him. The crowd can sense that God is at work here. But it's not only the crowd. Verse 65, throughout all the hill country of Judea, people are wondering about this. They're wondering, what will this child be? What will this child become? What will this child achieve? And that area of Judea is equivalent to about, at the time, it's equivalent to about half a million people. It's kind of roughly if you drew a circle from Wollongong to Sydney to Bowral to Jarvis Bay and I guess to the ocean... All that space, all that landmass, in all those places, they've heard about this kid on the news, on social media, it's gone viral on TikTok and YouTube. Everybody is talking about this kid. They heard about this kid with a life that starts this way, with God so obviously at work, and everyone is asking, what will he be? What will he do? And immediately, we get the answer, and things just go up a level. Look at verse 67. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, 
because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Zechariah praises God because God has come. God has visited his people. And he's come for a reason. He's come to redeem them, to rescue them from their enemy. Look at verse 71. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Verse 74. To rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear. This is the rescue God has promised. And he's going to do it through a leader, through a a king. That's what verse 69 is about. Verse 69, he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. That horn of salvation is a phrase from the Old Testament. It's the picture of an ox with horns just steamrolling all the enemies in his path. The ox is a king in the line of David, the mightiest king and leader that ancient Israel ever had. And Zechariah is so certain that God will do this, God will rescue his people, that he puts it all in the past tense. He says, praise be to God because God has come. God has redeemed. Zechariah is praising God for the expectation of total deliverance for God's people. Physical rescue, political rescue, spiritual rescue. What do you long to be rescued from? Maybe it's the stress and anxiety of life. Maybe it's crippling debt. Maybe it's relationships that are just so painful. Maybe it's a body that doesn't work properly. Maybe it's loneliness, regret, addiction. God has come to rescue And he's going to do it in part through Zechariah's son, which is pretty crazy. Because imagine how much the people in the Ukraine at the moment long to be rescued from their enemies this Christmas. In praising God, it's as if Zechariah is saying to the people in the Ukraine, it's going to be okay, my son's here. That's just wild, isn't it? It sounds a little bit like Tiger Woods' delusional dad. But notice two things in verse 67. Verse 67, His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. This comes as Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit and it's a prophecy, not a prediction. Uh, These are not the claims of a deluded dad. This comes as Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? What does that phrase mean? Let's just take a little sidetrack for a second. Uh, some Christians get very nervous around language like this, the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So to be honest, I did in the past. I, I used to get quite nervous about this kind of phrase. But it's a deeply biblical phrase, and it's an experience all Christians can have. In fact, Christians are commanded to seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So something we need to understand, but need to understand it carefully. It's a phrase that comes up a lot in the New Testament. Here's a couple of examples. Uh, The command is in Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So so in Acts 2 verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Or Acts 4.31, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. 
Now, what does that mean? Our English is actually not very helpful here because field means two radically different things in English. It either means the amount or it means the source. Uh, So you can see the first meaning amount with coffee. Uh, You can have more or less coffee in a cup. When is a cup filled? When there's lots of coffee in it. In the same way, is this about more or less of the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit like a, a force where Zechariah obeys God and now he's opened himself up to more of the Holy Spirit's work in his life? Now he's kind of got 100% of the Spirit in him? Well, that's definitely a possibility in English. In fact, it's probably the most common way we use the phrase in English. But it's not an option in the Bible For the simple reason that the Holy Spirit is not a force or a a power or a liquid that you can have more or less of, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person that you relate to. He's a person who does things and says things. He's a person who lives in you already if you're a Christian. Everyone who trusts Jesus has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them already not some percentage of him that you need to top up by experiences. No, we need the second definition of filled. Not about the amount, but about the source, kind of being influenced by, being driven by, being controlled by. Um, I looked up dictionary.com earlier today, and it's always reliable. Dictionary.com's two meanings for the word fill. One, to cause to become full or almost full, like I filled the bottle with water. That's the amount one. Well, the second, to become an overwhelming presence in, to pervade. You know, for example, a pungent smell of garlic filled the air. Pungent, <laughs> such a good word. Uh, no, I, I think you see in the Bible, the last example, uh, you see that idea, the second idea, the, the source, in this last example from Acts 5.17, then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. That's not talking about the amount. It's not like they were 60% jealous and now they're 100% jealous. It's the saying that the source of their actions, the reason that they go out from here and persecute the followers of Jesus is because of their jealousy. They're driven by, they're influenced by, they're controlled by jealousy. Uh, We use field this way with boats. If you'd never seen a sailboat before and you ask the owner, how does this thing move? They would say it fills with wind, which is not about the amount of wind. It can be driven along with a very small amount of wind or a very large amount of wind, it means that the wind is the source of the boat's movement. The, the wind directs and controls and propels the boat. That's what being filled with the Holy Spirit is about. It's not more or less Holy Spirit in you. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is in you already. It's about being more influenced, more directed, more controlled, driven by the Holy Spirit that is in you. And Christians, if you're a Christian, we're commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be directed by the Holy Spirit as we listen to the Holy Spirit's word in the Bible, not resisting, but letting the Holy Spirit grow us to become like Jesus. Now, that was all in passing to make this point. What Zechariah says is not the outrageous prediction of an overly proud dad. Zechariah is guided by the Holy Spirit as he speaks. And this is not a wishful prediction. Verse 67, this is prophecy. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. 
This is God speaking through Zechariah. And there's a whole other sermon on what is prophecy, what's the relationship between prophecy and being filled with the Spirit, but I've already done my big sidetrack, so we'll leave that for next time. But this is God speaking through Zechariah. Really, this is God answering the question that everyone's asking, what will this child be? And the answer is the warm-up act. Look at verse 76. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. The leader, the king through whom God will rescue his people is not John. It's Jesus. John prepares the way, but he's not the way. John comes before Jesus to get people ready for Jesus. He's like the support act at a a concert, preparing people for the main event, preparing people for Jesus. And he prepares us for Jesus by giving us knowledge. You see that in verse 77? To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. And knowledge, knowing, means two things in English. We're having an English lesson today for some reason. Knowing means two things. You can know about something or you can know by experiencing something. So we all know Arnold Schwarzenegger. We don't really know him. We've, unless you've met him, unless you're like best mates, in which case, come and talk to me afterwards. Uh, I presume none of us actually know him. We've never even experienced a conversation with him. We just know about him. That's what we mean when we say, yeah, I know Arnold Schwarzenegger. I know about him. But knowing about, knowing about is, is like knowing what honey is. We all know what honey is. We know it's a sticky substance made by bees. We know lots about honey. But that is so different to knowing honey as you put a spoonful of honey on your tongue. John gives people knowledge of salvation, to know about it, to know what it is and why you need it and where to find it. But far more than knowing about it, to know it, to experience it, to taste it. And what is it? It's forgiveness of sins through Jesus. It's being right with God forever because God never holds your failures against you anymore. It's being treated as not guilty and perfect, even though you are guilty and imperfect. It's all our failures, all our sin, not just tolerated or ignored, but forgiven. It's no longer living in darkness and ignorance and the shadow of death because Jesus comes, verse 79, Jesus comes to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. It's being one of God's people now, at peace with God through Jesus. And what could possibly cause such an amazing thing to happen? Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God. This is the same thing we've just seen at Salt Church in the book of Titus. We like gave this verse to death because we love it so much. Titus 3 verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, his tender mercy. John and Jesus come into the world because of God's mercy. John, to announce that a Savior is coming, Jesus to bring that salvation and guide our feet into the path 
of peace with God. How did John and Jesus actually change the world? But John points the way to a salvation we all need, and Jesus brings the salvation we all need so we can know forgiveness of sin. Not just know about it, but know it, taste forgiveness of our sins. So this Christmas, if you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, if you're kind of exploring God and what he has to say about life, can I encourage you with this? Don't simply know about salvation. Know it. Experience the salvation of your sins forgiven by trusting in Jesus. I think there's something very profound that this is what God saves us from. Uh, There are so many things that we long to be saved from. I gave you a list before. The stress and anxiety of life, crippling debt, relationships that are so painful, a body that doesn't work properly, loneliness, regret, addiction. There's an endless list. And God cares about all of those things. God came himself in the person of his son at the first Christmas to rescue us from what? From sin. Which shows God is convinced that is the biggest thing we need saving from. Far more than freedom, we need forgiveness. I mean, all those other things matter to God. And one day he will rescue us from all of those things in the new creation. But to start with, it's the foundations, the most important thing. We need forgiveness. And John as the support act and Jesus as the main event, they actually do the thing that Tiger's dad predicted about his son. They change the course of humanity. They impact nations, not people, nations. They change your life for eternity. Only this time, it's true. God has come to his people to rescue because of the tender mercy of our God. You can choose to no longer live in darkness or ignorance or the shadow of death, but to be at peace with God. So don't simply know about salvation. Know it. Experience the salvation of your sins forgiven by trusting in Jesus. Uh, Andy sent me a clip after church this morning. Uh, The Ivory Coast, I didn't know this, the Ivory Coast is the world's number one producer of cacao beans that we use to make chocolate. Uh, But the people who farm these beans are extremely poor and many of them have never tasted chocolate uh, because it's far too expensive for them to ever afford it in their life. Uh, And so a Dutch film crew went to introduce them to chocolate. So they met some of the people uh, who, this guy here, I can't remember his name, he spent his whole life farming cacao beans And I have no idea. He has no idea what you make from the cacao bean. And so they introduce people to it. uh, And when he eats it, his face just lights up. I didn't know it was so yummy. It's so sweet. I have no idea this is what you make from cacao beans. He was amazed. He knew so much about it, but he never knew it. And he's so stoked that he jumps immediately on his bike and takes the other guy with him, motorbike, down to all the other workers. And he introduced all the other workers to it. And they're like, this thing's amazing. Um, they say some very funny things like, now I know why white people are so healthy. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Um, but they're all amazed. They're all amazed at chocolate when they first taste it. Because they know so much about it, but they don't know it. And it's actually, it's a really inspiring video 
But it's also a brutally sad video because of all the poverty, because these people just have everything against them. And also it's sad because how sad would it be to know everything about how to farm the cacao bean, but to never know chocolate, to never taste chocolate? How sad would it be to know about salvation, but to never know it, to never experience, to never taste the salvation of your sins forgiven? How do you have it? By trusting in Jesus. And this Christmas, if you're a Christian, let me speak to you. If you're a Christian, copy Zechariah by praising God. Because what are the first words that come out of his mouth as soon as he can speak? A year without being able to hear, without being able to speak. What's the first thing that comes out of his mouth? Verse 64. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. And what are the, what's the start of his prophecy? He's going to talk about this incredible thing God's going to do and his son and how amazing is the role of his son is. And how does he start his prophecy? Verse 68. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. Praising God. I don't know about you, but I find that really hard to do. I've had a bit of a whirlwind of a year with some great heights, but also some crushing lows. And my, I got kind of mixed feelings about the year ahead. Uh, I feel like the longer I live, the harder my life is getting. It's not getting easier. Each year it's getting harder. Uh, I, I feel like I just long for that one year that would be anxious, free, and settled. I probably need to come to the summer series and hear the answer. How do I get a life that's calm and happy? I long for that one year that would be like that. I mean, even a week. I would settle for a week. But however hard life is for you this Christmas, there are so many reasons to praise God. You're not just some trite, empty cliche, you know, count your blessings, thank the universe. See, look, you feel better already. Not that at all. To thank the God who personally loves you. To thank the God who has shown you tender mercy, tender mercy to you. To thank the God who has brought you out of darkness and ignorance and death. The God who guided your feet along the path to peace, along the path to Jesus. And even now he's guiding you by his word and by his Holy Spirit and by his people. So we can know him deeper and be transformed by that. I mean, Christians, we of all people, we have infinite reasons to celebrate and praise God this Christmas. And last of all, last thing, if you are a Christian... This Christmas, serve God without fear. Did you see that in passing? That's the whole reason for all of this. This is why God the Father sent his son and sent John. It's in verse 74. Look with me, verse 74. To rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. That's the goal. We're not forgiven from our sin so that we can sin more. We're not forgiven from our sins so that we can serve ourselves and have a really indulgent Christmas and a really indulgent life. No, we're saved to serve Him. Not to put ourselves at the center where my life is about achievement and making my mark on human history. No, we're saved to give our worship and our loyalty and our lives to the one who truly has changed human history. The one who is the point of life itself. 
Uh, John actually captures this really well for us. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible from John 3, 30. Uh, John 3 verse 30, uh, it, Jesus goes pro, he starts his professional ministry, his public ministry, and John's disciples discover that Jesus is baptizing. And they're like, hey, he can't do that. That's your thing, John. He can't go and do the same thing. And they tell John, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. And John says, I am so stoked. I am full of joy. He's finally here. John 3 verse 30, he says, Jesus must become greater, I must become less. It's one of my favorite Bible verses. Isn't that a great goal for this Christmas? Isn't that a great goal for your life? To live in such a way that as people look at you, they see you shrink and Jesus get bigger every single day. And there are so many ways to serve God, so many obvious ways. I'm sure you can think of dozens. But one obvious way to serve God is to point people to God this Christmas. Uh, Since the start of December, I've been asking people, what are you doing for Christmas? And what does Christmas mean for you? What's it about for you? And lots of answers. Everybody's happy to answer that question. But really, as I asked the questions, I mostly felt sad as I heard the answers because the answers being so small and so empty People saying, oh, presents, it's all about the presents for me, but I can't really afford much because of inflation. It's about family. I'm spending time with my family, but I don't get on with all of them. And it's actually going to be pretty awkward and pretty hard. I want to serve God by pointing people to God so that they too can know his tender mercy. Let's pray.